Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Jazz Mostert, and you're listening it to is, Look, it's Inside great. It's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bulb, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but, but we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickhead, you could say. It's just it's, they're just... There's, <laughs> Good racing, and I enjoy it. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. Hello and welcome to another edition of Inside Supercars, where, well, Tasmania last weekend will be the focus, but there's plenty more going on and off the track. Joining us to discuss all this is the voice of V8 Supercars at the track, Chad Nalen. Good evening, Chad. Uh, good evening. It's uh, good to be back on the show. Another cracking round on the weekend, and I think that was a big tick for soft tyre racing and the definitely the Saturday format for the Super Sprint. I think it was pretty good. Definitely going to be talking about both those items throughout the show. Joining us to discuss all things Tassie is the one and only Stefan Bartholomeus from speedcafe.com. Stefan, great to have you back on the show as well. Thanks, Craig. You can uh, tell which one of us works a V8 Supercars. You just said hello, and he's given the format a wrap already. So, pats on the back, <laughs> straight up. No mucking Thanks around. The <laughs> well, I hope so, for your sake, because you do a lot of work for him. Anyway, <laughs> we do need to talk about Tassie. And, look, the format. They refused to change the two races at uh, Clipsal. But, Stefan, on Saturday we saw one half-length distance race at 100 and was it 120 kilometers i think it was and mm-hmm. uh, you got your 150 points for it stefan just like you did when you or just like you missed out on when you fell in the sand trap after running 198 kilometers yeah i think in terms of uh, the equal weighting of the points between saturday and sunday it's one of those things that uh, it's just as hard to win a saturday race as it is a sunday one so the exact distance shouldn't really matter too much but um as Chad did say in the in the intro, there it was uh, a great weekend of racing. But I think we're all very guilty in this sport of uh, whenever there's a format change, we uh, we take the first race meeting, and if it's good, we just praise the hell out of it, and if it's bad, we just say this has got to be fixed straight away. So, as always, there's going to be good races and there's going to be bad races. But um, overall, I don't think there's too many people that uh, would be wanting those twin 60k races back with our pit stops because there was just not enough variables in that to uh, to make an interesting race. So uh, we saw a bit of everything on the weekend, a bit of strategy, a bit of good door-to-door action, and uh, I think uh, it was quite a good weekend overall. Yeah, and of course, you'd never go back to the two 60k races on the Saturday, you know. Well, not unless you had a half-time break in the middle of them. I reckon when we go to Malaysia and we see... <laughs> let's not mention the half-time break. Um, I think uh, once we go to Malaysia and New Zealand, when we see uh, 100k races, they'll make them look really short. Those 60k races last year were just over so quickly and it didn't give the race long enough for anything to develop. Those races out of the pit lane, uh, you know, watching Wing Cup pick up five spots as a result of the pit stop process, cars banging into each other at the pit lane exit, all that sort of stuff was awesome. It probably won't be as exciting in Phillip Island because we'll go to the hard tyre. Um, it'll still be good, but it'll be better than 60k races at least. But I think for a, a first up weekend, it was pretty awesome. Mm. And, and of course, uh, Stefan, you'd never want to just do something once and then throw it out immediately, uh, particularly if it was your qualifying system. 
<laughs> yeah, it's obviously all the all the talk in F1 that uh, it's a bit of resistance to change that back, which uh, is just just madness. Like I didn't actually get to see the one on the weekend because we were obviously a bit busy in Tassie. But uh, yeah, they uh, they know how to create a problem when there shouldn't have been one. The old Formula One bloke. Yeah, indeed. And uh, well, we we did have an interesting race. It was talked up as one of the best Saturday races in history and uh, I, I did enjoy the uh, amount of um, hyperbole that went around it. But at the, at the end of the day, the Giz getting the 500th win, Chad, for Holden and his first for his new team at Triple Eight. Both very, very important milestones. Yeah, it was um, a lot of press throughout the week, obviously, about the, the big milestone coming up and who was going to be the driver to do it. Uh, Red Bull Racing Australia continued that unbelievable streak that they have there. Uh, but the, the big thing for me was, obviously, if what had, you know the oil incident didn't happen on Sunday, he would have waltzed home for two from two. would have been a one-two for Red Bull on the Saturday race as well. So they're looking pretty damn good at the moment. And I have been a little bit sceptical about whether or not SVG is a genuine title chance if he can string a whole year together, but man, he's just come absolutely firing out of the cannon straight away. So very, uh, very cool to see Holden tick that up. It kind of snuck under the radar a little bit until uh, Nick Perkett brought up the 499th, and then it was absolutely on. So very cool to see. Mm, at least it didn't have that 10 race build up like Lounsey's did for the 100. <laughs> well, we might get something similar for the Wing Cup actually soon. Yeah, get in, one more win. In, in, I wonder how long he'll leave us hanging. Indeed. Look, uh, Steve Hallam's departure on the uh, week leading into uh, into the build-up for Tassie was an interesting one, Stefan. You being on holidays had to uh, re- react quickly and get all the wheels and gears moving in the speedcafe.com head office there and make sure you were on the pace with that story. Yeah, I think it was a bit of a surprise to everyone, not least... Uh, Jonathan Webb and the boys at Techno when uh, when Steve Hallam dropped that bombshell on them right on the eve of Easter. Um, of course, we know that he's going back to the States and working for Toyota Racing Developments. He had a good relationship with them when he was working at Michael Waltrip's back before he came to Australia. He came and obviously had a couple of years at HRT and was sort of stepped out of that when uh, Adrian Burgess came on board at the end of 13. So it certainly, from all reports, Steve had a very positive influence in uh, in Techno's development there and uh, slightly concerning when a small team like that loses such a such a powerful figurehead and leader but um, certainly had the best answer to that on the weekend when uh, Will Davison obviously picked up a victory and they were just really strong the whole time. So the other element to, to all of it, of course, is that um, he was playing quite a, quite a role in the Gen 2 uh, program for V8 Supercars. He was kind of the main... The main team representative as a uh, input into that. So uh, there hasn't been a lot of talk of Gen 2 lately, but he was um, putting some of the building blocks in place there. So we'll see what impact his exit has on that whole thing too. Mm-hmm. Well, we need to take a break, but I do want to follow this up and the, the storyline that Steve Hallam created here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Bolt Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we're able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after um, take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Stefan Bartholomew. Uh, award-winning journalist. Uh, what is it? Three, three journalists of the years. I can't keep up. It's too many. Oh, I, I write words. I can't count. So I don't know. All right, and of course, very modest. Uh, Chad Nalen, who not only is uh, awardless. <laughs> well, uh, I was about to say, not only is on every medium known to man on V8 Supercar weekends, but you can catch him on Speed Week and and just about everything else that's going. He's a busy man trying to trying to knock Richard Kral off the uh, top of the busiest man in motorsport mantle, which he's <laughs> held for some time. I'm actually, I'm actually working with him on Thursday, so there you go. That's quite fitting. Well, uh, you can't beat him if you, it's like Scaife and uh, Lowndes winning Bathurst every year. You can't get in front of him if you're sharing the drive. <laughs> you can't beat him, join him, I reckon. <laughs> anyway, we do digress. Look, the Steve Hallam departure... Uh, was a, a very interesting story, and um, I know that uh, Stefan, you ran the story that uh, um, Davison was blindsided, but as, as you also said, I think the whole team was. But critically, he played a huge part in the development of Shane Van Gisbergen, and uh, we've seen how that's been realised. Yeah, and obviously you had a role in in Shane uh, getting the McLaren factory GT drives too with his relationship there with Dave Ryan and a few of the boys over in Europe so um, yeah Shane uh, Shane has a very strong relationship with him he um, gets on well at a personal level obviously as well as a, a driver level and I think um, whenever someone like Steve looks after a driver the way he did with Shane that's quite a compliment because he's worked with uh, he's worked with the best you know Anton Senna obviously gets brought up all the time as probably uh, one of the absolute greats that uh, Steve was involved with there at McLaren. So, um, yeah, Shane uh, Shane's probably uh, benefited quite a lot from that, and uh, he's certainly uh, kicking some goals this year, as we said before. Mm. Now, Triple Eight, Chad, were just absolutely uh, amazing on Saturday. At one stage there, they looked like Triple Eight um, cars could have been one, two, and three with the Triple Eight supported Techno at four. Um, and uh, Lee Holsworth was there at about for most of the weekend as well. Yeah, I guess it was just the um, the Nissan that got in there on Saturday and ruined the party there a little bit. But we're we're seeing that continuation of form, aren't we, off the back of the Grand Prix? But if you cast your mind back twelve months ago, they were very very strong down in Tassiewood Lounge, taking all of the three poles and Triple Eight taking all three wins. But then they kind of went off the radar a little bit after that. Uh, they were strong at Phillip Island last year, so there's no reason to think that they'll not be strong again next week when we get down there. But Winton and Perth will be the two telling ones where they uh, were a little bit off the pace last year. Lowndes nearly did bring up his 100th over in Perth, but strategy played a hand and, and Will Davison got that win in the um, in the Merck. So it'd be interesting to see if they can continue that kind of momentum on for the next few rounds. Phillip Island, you know, absolutely they'll be strong. But after that, it will be a little bit of a question mark. Mm. And uh, was that the softest penalty in qualifying ever received by a driver, Stefan, when Will Davison was uh, 
you know, coming out of the pits on the left-hand side of the track and managed to balk James Courtney on his hot lap. Yeah, I mean, it's an awkward one because he definitely uh, he definitely didn't... Like, just saying, oh, sorry, I didn't realise James was there is all very well and good, but you've kind of just got to be more aware of those things. And whether, whether James is qualifying program should have included a hot lap on that lap when everyone else is doing a warm-up lap is probably the question. Like, it's just a matter of who is going to get in your way rather than if anybody's going to on a small mm. track like that. You've got to be in sequence and do your lap when everyone else is doing it. That's why we see everyone go out at the same time. And it's just that Tazzy, some people like to do, or most people, two warm-up laps rather than just the one. So, uh, yeah, the, the kind of the interesting thing was the fact that the penalty was just immediate. Like, Will had only just stepped out of the car and we got word through straight away that uh, he had a two-place penalty, which um, one could suggest that they didn't want the, the pole check and hat going to the wrong bloke. And whether things should have been looked at a little little slower is perhaps a question. But, uh, yeah, it was unfortunate for him because he obviously he did the lap time and, and James was... To James's credit, he didn't have a sook about it. He, uh, he was pretty open with the fact that his car was pile of crap and he wasn't going to do anything anyway. So, um, I, I don't think JC was ever going to set a fast lap on that lap anyway. Like you mentioned, he had piles of traffic ahead of him anyway. And on top of that, it was his first flyer. So the numbers were showing it was your second hot lap through. That was actually a quick one. So the, the thing that frustrates me about this penalty is why, why is it that you get a grid penalty but you don't get the stat or the check for pole position? He set the fastest lap in that session. He deserves to be the pole man i get that you get the penalty later you start from a different position cool but we had this happen in townsville top of my head i can't remember who it was i think it was Lowndes got pole in a top 10 shootout but was going to have a grid penalty because of what had happened in the race prior and then had pole taken away from him and it was given to jason bright who was the second fastest in the top 10 shootout so that was the thing about that process that didn't quite seem right to me if Mm. you get your fastest lap in a session taken away that's a different story but I felt like Davison should have kept that pole position and then been given the two-spot penalty to start from third. Mm. And it was definitely, they said, it was a two-spot penalty. They didn't say it was his fastest lap removed, and that's that's a critical difference there too. Mm. Yeah. If you get a grid penalty, you should still keep the qualifying position that you had mm. in terms of the stat. It was still his 1000 bucks to keep, I thought. Well, it'll be interesting to see if Aaron Noonan puts an asterisk against uh, Will Davison's name. <laughs> And I guess for, to that end, to uh, Mark Winterbottom's name as well, who yep. did sit on the pole. Uh, do we read anything into the fact that, uh, once again, uh, Pro Drive Racing Australia, Rod Nash Racing, were not at the sharp end as you would hope for a defending champion and certainly a, a hot young gun like uh, Chas Mostert, Stefan? Um, so you're just talking about Chad not being right at the sharp end. Sorry, I... no, I'm talking about both. Oh, the whole pro drive team. The whole the whole program seems to not be where you would expect it. Uh, well, to be honest, I mean they didn't win a race from Sandown last year to the end of the season. So if anything, their competitive level is maybe slightly above where the trend line was showing. Obviously, they were playing the percentages with Frosty at the end of last year to make sure he got the championship. But, um, you know, I mean, Chad's got a pole at Clipsal. Um, Frosty got two poles at Simmons. So the cars are still still bloody quick. And, um, you know, Frosty was on for 
we don't know what would have happened on Saturday. Obviously, he struggled late in the race, but it was that pit stop uh, where he overshot the box that turned it from leading the race into uh, sort of fifth or wherever he came out after the shuffle. So um, he was in a decent position there to potentially win it, if not podium it. And then he was going to be P2 on Sunday, having fought really hard and really aggressively with, with Shane. So I certainly don't think there's any panic there. We saw, obviously, he wasn't wasn't really sharp on it in Adelaide, but then Chaz was. So it's kind of just about the individual engineer and driver just getting the balance right for each for each particular track. But overall, I think their performance trend is, is quite healthy. Mm. Now, we have to talk about... Uh... Well, we have to talk about safety cars, don't we? That, and particularly the monster car dropping its lunch. And perhaps, uh, you know, when I look at the replays over and over, uh, he was ta- he was on the racing line, dumping oil over all over the track, and then at the apex, he turned away from the corner. You you have to wonder what was going on there with the team's response. Uh, I think you got to give credit to Cam. You're doing. 240 k's an hour, that thing was probably flipping on oil. Uh, you don't really know at that very moment what the what the result is. You can't jam on the brake. If you move left or right, you're going to be putting oil in a position where people would be trying to either defend down that side of the racetrack or pass. I've, I've actually point the finger of blame at Cameron for that one. I actually was pointing it at the garage that would have seen the uh, oil, the oil pressure gauge on the telemetry plummet. Uh, before he made the braking marker, because that's where the oil, well, the oil started before the braking markers. Well, it was a major engine failure. They wouldn't have had that much warning, would they? Mm. It would have been over pretty quick, I think. Stefan, I'll, I'll, I'll bow to your analysis of that situation. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it was they had they had dramas going on when they had the, the sink sensor failure, and they had to go and replace that in the uh, in what turned out to be. His, second pit stop I think um, and then after that like Tim Edwards said to me following the race that the car wasn't running very well for quite a period of time and then finally it did as Chad said it had had a major mechanical issue whether it melted a piston or whatever it did because the timing wasn't wasn't in it properly so yeah I mean it's it's one of those things that I'm sure that at no point was Cameron thinking, oh, yeah, I'll just slick the track up and uh, see if I can have some cars landing in my boot. I think uh, it was just an unfortunate set of circumstances. It, it did certainly spice up the last six laps of the race, though, didn't it? Yeah, certainly uh, anyone who was preparing their race report would have looked pretty silly. So I'm uh, <laughs> glad that's not my style. <laughs> you get the early flight out, you reckon? Yeah, I should do an unpublished yearbook of uh, races that looked like they were going one way and then went the other. Yes. <laughs> the, um, the thing is, an engine is very expensive, but so is a chassis. And now, unfortunately for Super Black Racing, they've done two in two championship events. Yeah, and that's the um, Dunlop Series chassis for Gary Jacobson too, so that could have a, a big knock-on effect in two weeks' time. The championship leader in the Dunlop Series could be without a car in two weeks' time, so... Uh, a bit of a shocker in terms of the amount of money they're having to spend. That's for sure. Mm, uh, never cheap, is it, Stefan? No, and it's unfortunate, obviously, because the uh, the mistakes that Chris has made have been very, very small, but the consequences have been very, very high. Obviously, in, in Adelaide, he just did the traditional, and Chaz did it the day after. He just got that little bit of arrow wash through eight, and then tagged a fence on the way out. And unlike Chaz, who hit it quite hard. 
Chris only was just grazing down the side of it, and then he's got to an access gate that's plucked the steering arm out of it and shot him into the other side of the fence. And then obviously we saw um, on the weekend that he uh, he had been receiving a little bit of uh, treatment from behind from Nick Perkat, and then has just slightly squeezed the LDM Commodore on the way out of four. And even though it wasn't very far out of the hairpin, you just wouldn't think they're going quite that quickly at that point, but the contact has fired it hard into a piece of fence that isn't really designed to to catch a racing car because the fence he hit is actually the entry fence into four and he's hit the hit the back side of it effectively. Yeah, I didn't um, so I, I couldn't quite unusual. I couldn't pick up if he actually hit one of the pylons that hold the fence yeah, in I, place. So I, I it seemed did, like yeah. he did, yeah. Um, and, and it's yeah, like you said, there's so many knock on effects for that one uh, incident too, uh, Chad. It's going to be a, a very, very uh, worrying time. And I know, uh, Stefan, you wrote a story that, um, uh, well, Speed Cafe wrote a story. I don't know if you wrote it, but I'll, I'll credit you with it. Uh, that they, uh, uh, Pro Drive Racing, are just, you know, they're not going to be rushing. They're just going to go through the process of getting the new chassis completed and then, you know, worry about the other bench chassis later. Yeah, so, I mean, they've got those six race cars, which are the four main series cars and, and two DVS cars. Um, Chris's Adelaide car has been fixed, so that's back in the pool. And um, they're hopeful that they can fix, and there was no significant chassis damage on the car that Chris crashed at Simmons, which would give them the six cars then, whichever way they work it, to go to Phillip Island. But if there is significant chassis damage on the uh, Simmons-Pitha car, then they'll have to rush the build of um, of the brand new car that um, had been slowly being built up for Frosty to debut in the coming rounds anyway. So I don't think it's a massive drama, but just uh, as with any team, when you're building up a new chassis, you don't want to have to uh, have to speed the boys up too much. But uh, either way, they've got enough cars there, they'll be fine. Mm. All right, a break here on Inside Supercars. Plenty more when we return. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as yeah, supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and we're unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars as we look at the, uh, well, the couple of things we've seen from 2016 so far. And, Stefan, we've, we've talked about the formats. Do you think now we've got a steady format platform that we will move forward, or do you think there's still going to be a fair bit of tweaking before... Uh, we we can settle down with something for a long period of time. Well, as I said before, like um, the whole paddock's full of overreactors. That uh, something's good for five minutes or it's bad for five minutes, and then all of a sudden we should throw it out the door. But um, so nothing stays the same for too long from that perspective. But I think, as as Jamie said, Jamie Winkup when he was asked about it in one of the press conferences, like 
it's good to mix it up because whenever we have a format for too long, it, it does actually get stale and everyone ends up doing the same thing at the same time with, with strategy and all of that sort of thing. So I think the next evolution perhaps is going to be more on the tyre side with what they want to do with a soft tyre and they're going to be testing some uh, a different compound, a different soft, which I believe will actually try to have a higher grip level for longer, so there'll be a bit less deg. But from what we've seen when the grip level's up and the drivers are more confident to have a go, that the racing can be a bit better. So I think they're going to trial that. And also a new a new construction as well, which, um, again, is aimed to just give the driver more confidence and more feel. Um, it's the age-old debate as to whether we need a, a steer tyre and a drive tyre, which is um, something that's a bit costly. So Dunlop... Uh, are changing the uh, the construction to see if they can get a similar effect out of out of the one tire. So I think that for seventeen is more where they'll focus rather than the the format side of it. I guess it's important that you have some stability because last year, Chad, when we went to Tassie, it was the first round of a pay TV live, no free to air live uh, uh, experience, mm-hmm. and of course uh, that caused enormous reaction across social media, across uh, the uh, motorsport public. This year, didn't have so much, you know, the second year, the as Stefan said, the overreaction was gone and people understand the way of the world in uh, and certainly in the future of television. Uh, yeah, I mean, there'll still be murmurs about that, no doubt, for a while. Um, as for the format, the... The, the, we still have the super street format for a little bit as well, and we don't really have a solid super street format yet that is across the board. Like Townsville is two two hundreds, and then you know you got Clipsal, which is three races. Sydney's different again. So I think um, just back on the formats topic, I'd like to see kind of one format straight across the board there, but that's easiest than done because uh, I, I think the Townsville one's pretty much led. Because it's you know it's such heavily investment from the government up there, they they want to have a format which uh, yeah. And the two fifty didn't work at Townsville, or no. you know, Garth won it and he said it was pretty boring. The last mm. fifty kilometres didn't change much, and I think he was fourth at two hundred and he won the race at two fifty. So, um, but he he was quite adamant that it was too long. The track didn't suit a race of that length. Yeah, just I think it's important that I have formats that people understand that are the same everywhere we go. Have your Super Sprint format, have your Super Street format, and then we know international now, that format should stay the same as well. Uh, is it still going to be four 100s? I didn't think Pukekohe yep. was four 100s this year. Yeah, yeah, it is. International it is? format. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm... I thought for some reason that was different, Stefan. And this is the problem. You can never you can never keep track of it, really, can you? Yeah, and then when you're looking at formats, it's race formats and, and quality formats too. And practice formats, it's all, uh, it's all a bit of a scrambled egg when you try to think of it mm. all at once. So you just end up looking at the sub-regs when they get emailed out and... Uh, try to remember on a Friday morning what uh, what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and I think some of the teams go into that with their strategies too, the way the uh, cars are in and out at times. Uh, look, for Lucas Dumbrell Motorsport, I, <laughs> he was hoping that, that when it clips or might have been able to keep SP Tools on the car a bit longer. It wasn't the case. And uh, the, is it Abro or Abro? I can never remember the correct pronunciation of it. And Stefan, that of course, I've, 
from memory is a Dumbrell family company. Yes, it's a uh, it's a company that Gary has the um, that's uh, Lucas, the father of Lucas and and Paul. Gary Dumbrell has the distributing rights in Australia. It's an American company, from what I understand. So, um, yeah, it was uh, it was one of those uh, one of those LDM type deals where uh, the cars weren't stickered until they got to uh, Tasmania, and I believe they actually had a different livery on it, not the Albert Park livery, but there was a change livery for Simmons that they went onto the boat with, and every again by the time they hit the racetrack. So uh, what uh, what they're going to be like for the next one, but I think on-track performance <laughs> is slightly more important, uh, and they didn't have much of that either on the weekend, so uh, plenty of work to do. Mm. And, of course, Chad, the interesting thing, not only the that um, we have got a number of teams that are under-sponsored or underfunded at the moment, and so it is a, a major concern that, you know, these livery, livery switches, unlike for DJR, aren't planned well in advance and well publicised. Um, it's just part of modern-day motorsport, I reckon, man. At the moment, things, you know, piecing together a two-car, 12-month deal of merchandise and all this stuff well in advance is almost a thing of the past and uh, I think we're going to have to get used to two and three race deals whenever someone gets a sponsor now it's, it's very much going to be uh, who is the sponsor and what does it look like sort of thing um, the upside of that is some press releases it, it's good coverage you know leading up to these events that one was a little bit late so they didn't get a chance to really you know guys do in the week leading up to it but it just means, um, you know, sponsorship and sales crew are working overtime at the moment. Mm. Now, Tassie, uh, success once again. Great crowds, and uh, I, I actually think the crowd was up this year on uh, last year. And, uh, you know, it like it. certainly... It really didn't look like it. Yeah, certainly uh, the biggest sporting events on the Apple Isle is continuing to go from strength to strength. Yeah, yes, but uh, sort of jump in, but what I yeah, would like to see for next year is we find Tasmanians with a bit more respect and have some better support action than what they received because uh, I did go for a for a walk through the spectator areas and uh, and so on and was really impressed by the amount of pundits there um, sitting in their chairs and everything. It's, it's actually a great, as, as we all know, anyone that's been there, it's a fantastic venue to watch watch motor racing, especially through one and two there, you get a get a really nice read on the chassis balance of these V8 supercars, but um, the only drama was they were all sitting there watching an empty track, uh, which seemed to be a, the problem when you're at a motor racing event. So yeah, and- uh, we, had, we had F4 and uh, HQ Holden and V8 Utes, but I think uh, it could have done with at least one more category. Mm. And interestingly, it's, it's Tassie and Darwin where they do focus on trying to have local um, supports. Um, I was just wondering if you're saying the track was empty because there was only nine F4s on the track, Stefan, but I'm sure you'd never be that controversial. Well, I can be a bit of a smart-ass, but no, that was not where I was going with that. That's a whole other radio show, I'd suggest. <laughs> <laughs> it, it did need an extra category on the weekend. I've got to agree with that. Apparently, Ford's GTs put their hand up for it and got knocked back this time. So they were on the support bill there last year. They've been on the support bill at Phillip Island and Winton. Um, so a bit of an odd one. They definitely did did need just one extra category. They did get two uh, true colour track walks, though, the first track to ever have two, which is pretty cool, and that's absolutely pumping at the moment. So um, definitely a cool idea, but it, it did need just 
One extra category. Mm. Wondering, based on the story that uh, Stephanie ran on speedcafe.com uh, about Tony Quinn still uh, knocking back V8 supercar uh, advances, whether Rosie GT uh, would have got like the trophy series up there or something like that just to bolster the field. Uh, perhaps not in the current climate. Yeah, well, I mean, part of the irony of, of all what we're talking about here with support categories is the fact that um, Sandown isn't very far away from Simmons Plains, and that's where Cam's is running its opening, Shannon's with categories like the Touring Car Masters and the GT Trophy Series. Like, um, as an overall race meeting, it was probably uh, arguably a better one than what was being put on down at Simmons Plains. So uh, it would have been ideal maybe for that not to clash and maybe to have one or two of those classes at, uh, at Simmons. But I sh- we should also say in this conversation that um, V8s did significantly lower the ticket price this year for Simmons Plains, and which maybe partly explains a little bit of the crowd growth um, and also, yeah, I guess uh, let's not say they were being ripped off because the, the price was a little bit lower than it had been previously. And um, actually, we'll take a quick break and back with more after this here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Bort Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And And you're you're listening listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Chad Nalen and Stefan Bartholomeus with me, Craig Ravel. And the point I wanted to go to is... It's a short track. It's under a minute in length. We do that in Perth as well, your hometown, Chad. And whilst there's calls to extend both Simmons Plains and Barbagello, there is no good reason to when you see the racing quality, particularly served up at Simmons Plains last weekend. Yeah, well, Perth, yeah, I, I grew up with Wanneroo, but I wouldn't mind seeing extensions there. I think it would almost fit... Um, but there's just absolutely no reason to touch Simmons Plains. It is perfect the way it is. Bullring-style tracks are great. You watch NASCAR at Martinsville, you know, they're pushing and shoving. You're just on top of each other the whole time. And that led to just so much tight racing across the week, and not just the variety of the results that we saw, um, but just so much old-school kind of 90s touring car-style pushing and shoving and leaning on each other. It was just good, good to watch, and it's Totally nowhere to hide out there. I think we'll notice the difference when we go to Phillip Island next week, actually. Mm. I've got to say, though, I do enjoy reading um, a lot of journos' different stuff, but I had, a, uh, I had a, a Google alert come to my inbox, which really stunned me, Stefan. And uh, when it says Phillip Island event to run to a three day format, I've gone. Isn't that just about every V8 supercar but for Clipsal and Bathurst that it's held over three no, days? There was, what have there I was missed? There was something about it in January that Sydney Motorsport Park and Phillip Island were going to be two-day events. Well, V8 supercars would be on Saturday and Sunday and supports only Friday. Okay. But because of the TV deal, with everything having to be live on Fox on the Friday, it would have been a bit crazy to 
have all that but not actually have V8 supercars on. So it would have been like Kutzel first. Mm-hmm. So thankfully, common sense prevailed on that one and we're back on the Friday, which is good. All right. So that was just my naivete because obviously another format had crept into the uh, series that I missed. <laughs> Stefan, no comment. No, I reckon, uh, I don't know how the TV deal changed from January to where we are now, but uh, I'll let those blokes deal with that one. As I said, I'll look at the, well, actually, the top regs are probably out. That's why that's, that's come out. But uh, I'll, I'll look at it on the Thursday and work out when I've got to leave my hotel on Friday morning and go from there. <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, a break and then a final thought or observation here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question... Email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to um, take the win off him. So, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Stefan Bartholomeus and Chad Nalen. And, uh, well, a final thought or observation, Stefan Bartholomeus. Uh, yeah, I think, obviously, we've covered off quite a bit from from the weekend. Um, you boys mentioned the uh, the Holden 500 wins thing, and uh, the other side of the coin, as great as it was to celebrate that heritage, is that right now they're not committed to the sport beyond 16. And I think that's probably going to be, you know, not probably, it is one of the major going to be uh, unfolding across the back half of the year as to what's going to happen there. Um, they, As we know, they put significant money into Triple Eight and to the Walkinshaw team, which has run as the factory Holden team, Holden racing team for uh, 26 years now. And uh, there's a lot of people talking about what, what shape that's going to take going forward. So one could uh, only hope that Holden continue to see value in the sport. And um, it doesn't look like we're going to see a new new platform, new engine for next year, but they continue to support teams running the VF Commodore. But um, whether they deem a factory team as being part of that is uh, still to be answered. So... Uh, yeah, I think that um, the HRT on track starts of the year has been very interesting. Obviously, in Adelaide, they won a race, but they had also for the last two years. And uh, they were solid top six-ish at Albert Park and then just absolutely fell apart at Simmons. So uh, there's there's plenty of pressure on there right now to, to get the job done at a better level than they have. And uh, watching how that team goes on and off track in the next little bit is going to be quite interesting. All right, then. Chad Nalen, final thought or observation? Um, just just off the back of what Steph was saying just now, it's funny, HRT had zero speed all weekend and somehow they ground out a couple of top tens on that Sunday race, which is just shows um, experience where they had zero car speed and somehow produced something out of it. Um, but, yeah, uh, I guess my thought will be on Scott McLaughlin. Uh, Really frustrating, you know, that that butterfly issue on Saturday taking him out of contention of the race, you know, on the on the out. Now, out of contract at the end of the year, three-year deal with Volvo, which has been so cool, or with Gary Rogers, that's been amazing. 
And he is an incredibly loyal guy, but I'll tell you what, one or two of these uh, Volvo malfunctions like this again, and where Scotty's going next year is going to be a very much the hot topic, but it's uh, that's a matter of when, not if, we start talking about that, I think. Mm, all right, then. Now, Chad Nalen, who would you rather be? They're both of the V8 supercar field. And, of course, when you're a senior member of the field, the inevitable talk is how much longer will you be in the V8 supercar main game? Garth Tander, who's in fifth in the championship after two events, or Jason Bright, who's in eighth in the eight? Who would I, does it have to be V8 supercar related? Who would you rather be is the question. Garth Tander or Jason Bright? Um, I think, uh, I think Garth in the, and I mean, this is all due respect to Brad Jones Racing, but Garth, you know, factory hold and driver, and uh, they're going to be strong coming into Bathurst again, and you know, defending Pertec Endurance Cup champion. I think I'd take GT on that one. All right, then, for Stefan Bartholomew, who would you rather be? HRT that hasn't got a commitment from Holden yet, or Nissan Motorsport who haven't got a commitment from Nissan yet into 2017 and beyond? Wow, this is like saying, would you rather four broken bones in your hand or five? I don't know if I can answer that, to be quite <laughs> frank. Um, yeah, I certainly uh, don't envy the position of either of those teams, but um, I guess, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> I honestly, uh, you've, you've bowled me there. Um, One or the other, Nissan or HRT? Kelly's oh, well, or HRT? I'd rather be Kelly's because they've got lots of cool, like, boats and toys <laughs> and stuff. So, you reckon they've got um, more than Walkinshaw? I reckon if the car racing stuff goes away, the Kelly's would be quite happy. Okay. <laughs> that's, all, that's all we have time for this week. Thanks very much to Stephen Bartholomew. Thank you. And boys. Chad Nalen. On you boys, thanks very much for having me. Till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. Inside Supercars.